Today we begin a fall series of messages from the book of Acts, focusing specifically on the working of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church. And I wanted to share with you a quotation from Michael Green. He's senior fellow researcher at Oxford University in his compelling book, 30 Years That Changed the World, and I quote, three crucial decades in world history. That's all it took. In the years between AD 33 and AD 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than two billion putative adherents. He goes on. It has had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all this the time when it took decisive root was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. These men and women didn't have any money. Poor, penniless uneducated for the most part. They didn't have Harvard MBAs in business administration or marketing. And they gathered together in that upper room and prayed for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And from that upper room experience, they went out with the power of God and literally changed the world. They did it. They changed the world in one generation. How did they do it? How did this group of ragtag peasants move the entire world that the Roman Empire had to deal with this group? called the Christians, and here it is in the book of Acts, and I have been reflecting on the journey of the early church, and I've come to the conclusion, we can't do it any better or any differently than the New Testament church, amen? Here we are in the 21st century, fancy programs, heat, electricity, resources, education, but we need to go back to the book of Acts because there is something there in the early reign that is critical for us to grasp and understand if we're going to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which I believe will happen before Jesus comes a second time. Our scripture reading, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 and A.W. Tozer says this 
provocative quote in reference to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit were taken away from our church today, 95% of what we do would continue and no one would notice the difference. If the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, had withdrawn from the early church, then 95% of what they were doing would have stopped and everyone would have noticed the difference. Friends, I am coming to the conclusion that the issue for our church today in the 21st century is not more resources, it's not more fancy programming. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all for programs, I'm all for resources. Please continue to give to church budget, don't misunderstand me, that's not what I'm saying. We need all these things. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we are just empty shells, just going through the motions and the rituals and the programs of church maintenance. In the book of Acts, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn, everything would have come to a screeching halt. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, here it is in our scripture reading, and today I have a study guide for you because these texts and these quotations were so compelling to me that I did not want them to be lost and pull it out of your bulletin. It is an insert there, and if you did not get a study guide, raise your hand. We have a few individuals with some extras. Raise your hand. I want to make sure that everyone has one. Someone needs one here in the front. Anyone else? You will want this study guide because all of the compelling quotations, and they are compelling, are found in this study guide. And I read an interesting statistic that was quite disheartening as a preacher because, believe it or not, I spend hours in preparation for each sermon because I take seriously the time that is here. But I read the statistic that after a sermon, 90% of what a preacher has painstakingly crafted is forgotten. I've come to the conclusion, what am I doing here? What am I doing? I might as well preach the same sermon every Sabbath, Mark. I mean... I mean, so people, there'll be some repetition. Maybe a few percentages would get in, but that's why we need the Holy Spirit because it's through the foolishness of preaching that anything is accomplished. And so I'm hoping that some of this stuff will stick, and that's why I have this study guide here for you. Fill in the blank, just like elementary school. (laughs) So you have to perhaps stay engaged. But here it is, our scripture reading, Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. The book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but in reality it should be called the Acts of the Apostles of the Holy Spirit because it begins with the Holy Spirit. Everything in the book of Acts flows out of the indwelling empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, look, you were baptized with the baptism of John, 
But many days from now, or not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I looked it up. It's the Greek word baptizo that Jesus is using in a comparative way. You were baptized with the baptism of John. You will be baptized with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptizo literally means to be immersed. When you are physically baptized, you cannot consider yourself to be baptized if you get one toe into the water. You haven't been baptized. I would say you're not even baptized if you get in waist deep. The only way that you can consider yourself to be truly, biblically baptized is if you are immersed, you are soaked, you are drenched, you are saturated by the water. So Jesus here is using this comparison of baptism and he says that you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is not just getting your feet wet. This is not just a sprinkle of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about a saturation, an immersion of the Holy Spirit. And today in the 21st century, we get droplets of the Spirit. I've experienced it. You've been in a service before. I believe that every Sabbath when we get together, we have the Holy Spirit but it's not a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not an immersion of the Holy Spirit. It's not a saturation of the Holy Spirit. We've been getting little drafts or sprinkles of the Holy Spirit, and I appreciate all of those. But in the book of Acts, there was an experience with the Spirit that was fundamentally an immersion an experience with the Spirit. This promise of the Holy Spirit was given earlier, and I have this in your study guide. Jesus is giving his farewell words to the disciples. He's about to die. He's foretelling his crucifixion, his death to the disciples, and he says in John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your, what? It is to your advantage that I go away. Let's stop right there. Why would it be advantageous for Jesus to leave? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself when I read this text, uh, that I can't find an advantage in that. I would much rather you here than away. Why is it to our advantage? Because I can't find any advantage from a superficial level. Why is it to our advantage that he goes away? For I, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. We have a compelling quote from the Desire of Ages, page 669. The Holy Spirit is Christ's representative, but divested of the personality of humanity and independent thereof, cumbered with humanity, Christ could not be in every place personally. Let's stop right there. In order for the plan of salvation 
to be accomplished, Jesus had to become human. And in order to become human, he had to divest himself of a certain attribute of what it meant to be God. He divested himself of the profound ability to be everywhere at once. Omnipresence. That was a limitation that he chose to take on in the incarnation, and that was the only way that the plan of salvation could be accomplished if if Jesus chose to limit himself to be at one place at a time. Therefore, the quote goes on, it was for their interest that he should go to the Father and send the Spirit to be his successor on earth. No one could then have any advantage because of his location or his personal contact with Christ. By the Spirit, the Savior would be accessible to how many? To all. In this sense, he would be nearer to them than if he had not ascended on high. I want us to follow the rationale of this. Jesus says, look, it's to your advantage that I go away because Jesus physically was limited to one place at one time. But once he left, he sent his Spirit. And it is through the Spirit that we have the profound presence of Jesus with us no matter where we are. Amen? You could even be in Alaska. (laughs) And God, through His Spirit, is here. Let's go back. I skipped this one in your study guide. John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18, in summary says, the Holy Spirit will bring the presence of Jesus into us. In this sense, Jesus is with us here through His Spirit. The presence of Jesus can be anywhere in the world because of the omnipresence of the Spirit. The presence of Jesus can be in us through His Spirit. No matter where you are in the world, Jesus, through His Spirit, is with us. The power in the book of Acts was made possible because of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus that was moving through the Spirit. How do we have the presence of Jesus with us today? It's the exact same way. Through the Holy Spirit, we can have Jesus with us in a profound way as he was literally walking with us 2,000 years ago. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Jesus is in prayer. I wish I could have heard a tape recording of Jesus. (laughs) 
That must have been some profound communion with God. And Jesus is praying, and the unction, the gravitas, the, the depth of his prayer is so moving. The disciples are there, and he's praying out loud, and they overhear Jesus praying, and they are so awestruck. They are so moved. They have never heard anyone pray like this before, that they, after Jesus has done this profound union, communion with God, they, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Help us to pray like you pray. We have never heard anyone pray the way that you prayed. Help us to pray. And then Jesus goes into what is the most famous prayer in the world, the Lord's Prayer, and let's repeat it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice in the Lord's Prayer, there is a repeat or a repetition of a posture of asking. Asking, asking, asking. Forgive us our debts as we forgive us our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. These are all requests in the Lord's Prayer. And then after this, Jesus tells a parable in verses 5 through 8 of a man that is sleeping soundly in his home with his family, his children, and at midnight there comes a knock at the door. And the knock is persistent. It is not going away, and this man is in a deep, profound REM sleep. I long for those days. <laughs> Tell you. I forgot what sleep is like. Profound, deep REM sleep. Oh. A few months ago, my wife and I were awakened at a terrible time in the morning. 1, 2 a.m. It's actually my wife that woke up first, and there was this. And uh, my wife wakes me up and says, Honey, someone is here. Someone is tapping on our window in our living room. First thought that went across my mind was, I didn't say it. I said, uh, I thought, I knew my wife should have let me get that shotgun. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being real. So we go out there in a terror. There's this tapping on the door, and there was this dark, foreboding figure 
that was standing outside of our living room, this is the truth, tapping on our window with an incessant, annoying, persistent tap. Tap, 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 tap. And I look over there, and I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. I said, where is that bear spray? This is bad. Praise God, it was a friend. Or should I say, a former friend. (laughs) No, he's still our friend. He had a very important request that he had to make, and there was an emergency. I don't want to get into all the details, but here it is. This parable is similar. There is an incessant knocking at the door, a tap, 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 and it doesn't go away. And finally, this man in a fog goes to the door, and in my sanctified imagination, I imagine the man goes to the door, and he says, who is it? And maybe it's like those little sliding doors that with a little window that opens up. Who is it? And he can't see out there. And, he sa- and the man on the other side says, it's Bob, your friend. The man inside says, Bob, like, what do you want? He says, I need bread. He's, you're like, are you kidding me? Do you know what time it is? I mean, you need bread. I mean, what do you think this is? 24-7 Walmart? I mean, like, come on. He says, no, 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 this is Bob and I need bread. I have friends that came over and, and, I, and I have nothing. Read the text. He says, I have nothing. And the man inside goes, good night. Shuts it, goes back into his bedroom, tries to get back into that REM deep sleep, but that knocking just keeps going. Oh, goes back out there, opens the door and says, Fine. You can have all the bread you want. That's the parable that Jesus gave. Now, just so you don't misunderstand, the whole class on parables at the seminary, you need to be careful with parables. This parable is not saying that God is reluctant to help us. It's clarified in the verses afterwards. We'll get to that in a moment. The point of the parable is this notion, you have it in your Bible, of, what does it say? Yet because of his what? Persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. The point of the parable is this notion of persisting in asking. That is the point of the parable. Just like that man was out there. The NIV actually says shameless audacity. And and that's the point of Jesus. He says, look, we should be persistent in our prayers. That's the punchline. That's the point that Jesus is trying to get across to us, that in our prayers, we need to be persistent. And I looked it up in a thesaurus, a synonym of 
persistence, and here it is. I have it here on the screen. Constantly, continually, tenaciously, unrelentingly, perseveringly, repeatedly, tirelessly, steadfastly. That is the way that we are to pray persistently. Jesus goes on after this and uses an analogy of the way that God relates to us just so we don't misunderstand him and think that he is reluctant to help us. He says, parents, how many of you fathers, if your son asked you for a salmon filet, are you going to throw at him a venomous viper? How many of you parents, fathers, if your son asks you for a slice of bread, are you going to go out to the parking lot and grab a rock and throw it at him? It's a rhetorical question. Of course not. And Jesus says, how much more, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? That clarifies any semblance of reluctance on the part of God. But I want you to notice the repetition in Jesus' analogy. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13, after he tells this parable, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. For who he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a person asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Six times, Jesus says, ask, 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 ask. Jesus tells us to ask, 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 ask. Just like the person knocking on the door was persistent, was persistent, was persistent. Jesus is implying through this repetition that in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that God can ever give, He invites us to ask. Furthermore, when you look at the nuances and you do some exegesis of Luke chapter 11, verse 13, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That ask right there is in a particular tense in the Greek. It literally means to keep on asking. In other words, receiving the Holy Spirit is not just a matter of getting on our knees and say, Lord, please give me your Spirit. But in order to receive the full measure of the Spirit, God says, stay in an attitude of continued asking. I want to tell you, As a pastor, and believe it or not, 
I put my pants on the same way you do. We are very, very, very human. And this notion of continuing to ask for the Holy Spirit, because when you're asking for the Holy Spirit, you're really asking for the presence of Jesus, has had a profound effect on my life. Because sometimes you can get so into doing that you haven't really been being. And I am so convinced that if there are 50 individuals, 20 individuals, the Lord doesn't care about numbers, that make a covenant personally and corporately to ask for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not just once, not just twice, but repeatedly keep on asking for the Holy Spirit that God will turn the city of Anchorage upside down. That's how I read the book of Acts. When we look at Christ's object lessons, page 145, God does not say, ask once and you shall receive. He bids us ask unwearyingly persist in prayer. The persistent asking brings the petitioner into a more earnest attitude and gives him an increased, what does it say? Desire to receive the things for which he asks. God is not in this game where he's like, you know what, Pastor David has asked 50 times, I guess I'll give it to him now. That's not the point of why God says ask, 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 or continually ask, because it's simply this. The, the mode of asking increases our desire, and with an increase in desire, there's an increase in capacity to receive the Spirit. In other words, praying does not change the heart of God. The asking, the petitioning changes my heart. Because I don't have the capacity to receive what God really wants to give me. And in order for us to be prepared for that, God has formulated this dimension of the Holy Spirit in a way so that when I ask, I desire more, I want it more, I thirst for it more, I keep on asking, I keep on receiving what He's able to give me, and as I do this, my capacity, I begin to change. I yearn for more of the Spirit. Increased asking, increased desire. Actually, the Apostles, page 56, Another reason why we need to continue to ask, to the consecrated follower of Jesus, there is wonderful consolation in the knowledge that even Christ, during his life on earth, sought his Father how much? How often? Daily for, a for fresh supplies of needed grace. 
Jesus sought the Father daily for fresh supplies of needed grace. And here is the question. If Jesus needed daily fresh supplies of grace, what about me? What about us? Ellen White, morning by morning, Jesus communicated with his Father in heaven, receiving from him daily a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, every day, a fresh supply of grace, a fresh supply of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is why Jesus was able to change the world in three and a half years of ministry. And friends, I am coming to the conclusion that sometimes my prayers are so focused on physical blessing and physical needs, and don't get me wrong, the Bible says give us this day our daily bread. That is a physical need. But in reality, there is a gift that I, if I am honest with myself in my spiritual walk with God, that I have simply not been asking for God enough. And that is the Holy Spirit, because look in your study guide, page 672 of Desire of Ages, this promised blessing, the Holy Spirit, claimed by faith, brings how much? All other blessings in its train. It is given according to the riches of the grace of Christ, and He is ready to supply every soul according to, notice this, the capacity to receive. In other words, you get one gift. You get them all. You get them all. You ever go shopping? I mean, can you imagine a department store? You go in and you don't know, and you buy this one thing, And as you're going out, alarm bells go on, balloons come down, confetti comes down, and people come out with a microphone and say, you have picked the right gift. Because you have gotten the gift that includes everything in this store. That's what this is saying. The gift of the Holy Spirit brings all other gifts in its train. Every blessing. What kind of gifts are we talking about? Have you struggled with being patient? Someone says something to you, just sits in there, and you lose it, and you tell them off. Have you struggled with self-control? Have you struggled with being a kind and loving person? All of those gifts, the fruits of the Spirit, come with the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power, page 221, with the reception of this gift, the Holy Spirit. All other gifts would be ours, for we are to have this gift according to the plenitude of the riches of the grace of Christ, And he is what? He is ready 
to supply every soul according to the capacity to receive. Friends, we need this. We need this because if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're just playing church. We're just going through the motions. Beating the air, as Paul says. And Lord has placed it on my heart to, by the grace of God, ask repeatedly, every day, say, Lord, I don't even know exactly what receiving the Holy Spirit entails. But by faith, I want it. Increase my capacity to receive. Last quote. Christ's Object Lessons 149. All that Christ received from God, we too may have. Think about the implications of that statement. All that Christ received from God, we too may have. Then ask, receive. With the persevering, with the persevering faith of Jacob, with the unyielding persistence of Elijah, claim for yourself all that God has promised. Friends, I, we need this. Amen. Don't you want the presence of Jesus in here? In here. That's what he wants to give us. And when we ask for the Spirit and we go out into the community, just like the apostles, people will step back and say, that person has been with Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you today marveling at who you are that you would come to this earth and die to reveal your love to us. And Lord, today we need the presence of Jesus more than ever before. This world is falling apart at the seams. Confusion. And Lord, if ever we needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. And so we corporately, as the body of Christ, want to ask for the Holy Spirit. We want to continue to ask for the Holy Spirit because we believe that the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus and all other blessings in its train. Lord, we need you.
And Father, I'm wondering if there's someone here that with me that wants to say, fill me is my earnest plea. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And you want to ask, I want to invite you to raise your hands quietude of your own heart and say, Lord, please, I want to ask. Seal our hands, our decisions with your spirit. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.